0: Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. This week we're in Cimarron, New Mexico with entrepreneurs Colin and Aaron Taney. And what happened to be a fortuitous stop on our road trip to California earlier this year? We actually pulled into town just as the Super Bowl was ending and stopped by the only place that happened to be open. And as we got to talking to the owners, we realized we really needed them to share their story on the podcast. So I grabbed my recording equipment and we did this completely on the fly. Colin and Erin are sharing what led them to bringing a bed and breakfast, brewery, and bike race to their historic town. Plus all they're doing to help bring economic development and positive change to the community. So here we go with Colin and Erin. Well, we're here tonight in Cimarron, New Mexico with Colin and Aaron Tawny, who I'm going to just call you entrepreneurs for now because I really want you to explain all the fun things that you're involved in here in Cimarron. But uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank Thank you. You. Well, let's have you guys start out. You haven't always lived in Cimarron, so tell us a little bit about your journey that led you to coming here.
1: Well, uh, Aaron and I have been looking for properties in the high country for a really long time uh we were looking in southern colorado eventually that that search kind of came to northern new mexico and we were looking in the enchanted circle area which is angel fire red river taos Eagle Nest, and simmerone kept coming up in the searches on um, realtor.com zillow and there was one particular property that looked really promising uh was a, a it had been a bed and breakfast it hadn't been run in several years and, I, you know, we just, I kept watching it online, and we finally had the opportunity to come see it. And we came out, and we just we fell in love with it. After 10 minutes.
2: Oh, I, it, the house hugged us. You, <laughs> sometimes you just know when something's right. Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, we're, I'm, I'm like, we're talking to the realtor about it and everything, and then we're, we're getting ready to leave that day, and we're sitting out in the parking lot. And I'm, I'm looking at Aaron, and I said, I'm counting, mentally counting every penny that we've got. I said, honey, we can do this. And your response? <laughs> I
2: said, don't tease me like that. <laughs> that had been her
1: biggest dream uh, for a long time to have a bed and breakfast. Because uh, after we met, I discovered she was an amazing cook. I said, do you ever think about having a restaurant? She said, no, I'll never have a restaurant. But I'd love to have a B&B. And uh, I'd wanted to move to the mountains for, well, since I was 10 years old. And uh, so it was kind of two lifelong dreams that happened to merge. And... Uh, it just, you know, everything collided at the right time for this to happen. Uh, of course our original plan when we bought it is, um, we were going to move out at the end of 2018, but the closer we got to closing, we knew we had the property, you know, out here in the middle of nowhere. It was so peaceful. We loved it. And, uh, I, uh, we were traveling somewhere and I don't remember if I said to her, she said to me, we're not going to make it two and a half years, are we? Nope. uh, (laughs) So (laughs) we, we started our exit plan from Tulsa and, um, I was going to retire from the boiler company that I worked for, and they insisted that I not do that because I could work from remote. I mean, I'm, I'm on the marketing end of things. So there was so much stuff you can do these days that the Internet, you couldn't do 20 years ago. And and that's really what allowed us to come out here. We had a portable business we brought uh, with us. We deal in antique Harley-Davidson parts. Uh, so that was a sure thing that we had. We had Aaron's insurance business. And we were kind of diving into the unknown with the B&B, although I knew she was one heck of a cook. And I knew with my marketing background, we could really get the Inn out there, build it into something that was pretty neat.
2: I love it. So how did that evolve once you got out here? Well, everything just kind of fell into place. I mean, we got the, got the Inn repainted, uh, redecorated, and, uh, you know, Philmont Scout Ranch has been a huge part and that's success, because we get about 50-50 about customers from them during the summertime. That's great. And uh, yeah, they're just they're an awesome group to work with, and then we get travelers that find us. They're, we have an indoor pool, which is kind of unusual for a B&B, and we've got people that seek us out for that reason. I love it.
0: Well, Colin, you had mentioned to me earlier that you had been through Cimarron before and kind of saw maybe some potential in this town, but...
1: We were, we were coming home from a summer trip. We'd been mountain biking up in Taos and, and uh, Angel Fire. And um, I said, you know, let's take Highway 64 down through the canyon. We'll go that way. And um, we, came, we were going down through the canyon. I'm like, man, this is beautiful. We see the Palisades, which looks like organ pipes springing out of the rocks. And then I see the sign for Philmont Scout Ranch. I'm like, Aaron, Aaron, I know all about Philmont because Wade <laughs> Phillips was from Tulsa. And so I'm all excited. I'm thinking you know, we're going to come out into, into you know, this neat little village. And um, bless its little heart, <laughs> at that time, uh, there, was, there was like a burned out motel still on the main drag. We didn't have the corner store that was down at the intersection of Highway 58 and 64. It really looked kind of like an unloved, forgotten about village. And um, I just thought, what an unfortunate little place. So I was a little hesitant because I knew that was the impression it left on us. When I first found this, this bed and breakfast online, I was a little hesitant to even mention there Aaron that it was in Cimarron. Um, but I thought, you know, every place deserves a second look. And it just, you know, we, we saw it with entirely different eyes when we came back to to, to see the place. Um, all of a sudden, we thought, man, this place is full of potential. And it wouldn't take that much to, to spruce things up. And then we started meeting some of the other merchants here. And it was a fantastic community of merchants. And um, we said, you know, no fear on doing this. This is, you know, uh, we, can, we can give back. We can... Uh, help work to kind of try and improve the community, bring some fresh ideas. That's not always welcome uh, when you get into a small community. And then there's there are other people who are like, man, well, hey, we love the fresh energy because, you know, we've been leading the push for 20 years. Now it's time for somebody else to do this. But um, I don't know. What I, am I leaving anything out of that? Or well, Not
0: that I can think of. <laughs> i it pretty good. So you eventually found yourself involved with the chamber.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, we didn't buy the building here. We leased this. Uh, this is, is a very historic building here. It was built in 1906. Uh, this was a hardware store originally. And I think it's been like it, it was the senior center at one point and they subdivided it into three spaces. And, um, but we would come down here, uh, when we were, when actually, I think the first time I noticed it, we were just, we were going around the town meeting people and I saw the space and I saw the restaurant equipment and all like new ish. But they had this, this great outdoor space. And I said, Oh my gosh, this would be the best beer garden. We gotta we, we somebody needs to do this here. Somebody just put a brewery in. And Aaron's going, oh no, no, no. We're not uh-uh, no, not no 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 nah." And uh, so we just didn't know we were gonna be the ones that ended up putting the brewery in. I already had an interest in brewing because I had sold boilers to microbreweries all around the country, and I had gotten into home brewing about five or six years ago. And as it turned out, I actually was fairly good at it. And before we knew it, we had this like commercial-type brewery in our garage back in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, our friends loved to come over and have barbecue with us, and drink our beer. And um, you know, I'd been rattling around in the back of my head, and maybe next lifetime I can I can do a brewery. You know, I'll finally have time to do that because I'm just I'm intrigued with it. I'm a really process-oriented person. And um, about this time last year, well, actually it was Thanksgiving of of 2017. Some friends were over at the house. And uh, we just got to talking about the possibilities, man, the space down here, and it would be, you know, so good for it. But it was actually Erin's fault. She was the one that ran into the handyman that um, uh, took care of the building. And, and she's like, well, can I see the space? Said, you can You can run with it from there.
2: Yeah, so I, I came in and looked around, and I thought, well, you know, it's kind of cute. Maybe we could make this work. And, I mean, I have my dream. Who am I to stand in the way of his? And uh, something, another part of this that he's leaving out is, you know, we were trying to figure out, okay, so people come around that turn on 64 and they see the mountains and they just, it's pedaled to the metal. You know, even though they're an hour away from the nearest destination, uh, they just completely blow off Cimarron. Well, how do we get them to stop? Well, you know, what's the two surefire ways to get Oklahomans and Texans, which are the most of the tags that come through here, to get them to stop is beer and barbecue. There you go. <laughs> Which is his forte. So,
1: And that kind of went back to um, becoming the marketing director for the chamber. You know, obviously trying to figure out how do you promote your village? How do you get people to stop? How do you generate sales tax dollars? Uh, I just didn't realize I was going to be doing on a real-life scale. I thought I was going to push somebody else to do this.
0: <laughs> well, here you found yourself kind of in a role of catering to tourists coming through. So what Mm -hmm. has been your favorite part of that, getting to meet all sorts of different people and show them your town?
2: Oh man, that's, we completely didn't take into account, especially with the bed and breakfast. I mean, you, you, you get to talk to people here at the brewery and chat with them and find out where they're from and what makes them tick. But in the bed and breakfast business, it's more of a personal experience. And when we sit down and break bread with our guests every morning, in an hour, you learn so much about people, and it's just incredible how small the world is and how how intertwined we all are. And I didn't expect the empty nest syndrome when my guests leave. But, you know, you you people will stay with you for a few days. You get to know them. You guys end up friends, and then they leave. You're like, wait a minute why is the house so quiet <laughs> yeah oh
1: that's so sweet why do yeah. I feel lonesome what <laughs> we had one guy from the FAA last year he was supposed to be here for a week and a half doing this project so we we learned early on we started saying guests check in friends check out and um, this guy Elliot Cole he stayed with us for three weeks as it turned out Elliot achieved family status we're still in touch with him on about a weekly basis you know keeping up with each other and everything and so, you know, there's some people we've really had a great chance to connect with. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was um, telling you guys earlier, every now and then somebody will show up here just out of the blue, they didn't even know we'd moved here. like somebody from Tulsa, from our cycling community, and they're like, what are you doing here? Uh, we had a couple came through from Amarillo a couple weeks ago, and um, they had some connections to Tulsa. And then it turned out they knew a bunch of, because the husband was a cyclist, so we knew a lot of common people that had, had done our, our bike race here last year. So it's funny because we actually like kind of pre-know some people that come through. It's really interesting, and um, I, I, I kind of I have a gift for words and people. I I, I know I, I'm he's so shy. <laughs> we really to need to work on show. that. But it's it's really cool serving people. Where I'm in my element is when I'm out front here chatting with people. I mean I love all phases of this business, but that's truly that's where where I feel you know my gift is is being able to, to work the room. And if I see somebody that, you know, maybe they're having a rough day, they're not smiling or whatever, i make it a point, go over, chat with them. And, you know, by the time they're done, they're like, thank you, I had a really great time. And, you know, it's, it's given us a great opportunity to, um, well, I mean, people have blessed us by, you know, staying with us or coming in here. And I think it's vice versa. You know, we've actually had some really incredibly timed visits from people that were needed you know, just for personal stuff, you know, that we have coming up or whatever, you know, that we've just had an opportunity to kind of learn from people and, you know, share things about, you know, personal health, nutrition, uh, essential oils, things like that, that, you know, it's just, most people don't get that opportunity like we do. We're incredibly fortunate.
2: And we keep trying to pay it forward. and It just keeps coming. (laughs) It does. I love that.
0: Well, what would you say have been some of the key things that have helped turn on around as far as you know just revitalizing things around here since you have moved into the area?
2: I'm not sure if we had much to do with it um, but there's been some improvements here and there they've, they've taken down the the burnt out hotel um, there was a building that was falling down here on 9th Street. they took that out and just doing those little bits here and there kind of spurs everybody else to do the same thing. Sure. Yeah, and it, it's a slow process. You know, it didn't it didn't get this way overnight, but every little bit helps, and it just keeps keeps that spirit going. It keeps keeps moving and improving. Didn't mean to rhyme that.
1: Well, <laughs> and coincidentally, we actually had an opportunity. What's it been? Not, maybe about a year ago to apply for a community grant, a Main Street program, and. Uh, this is under the Frontier Cities uh, part of it. The state didn't really have funds to, to actually um, put any of the brick and mortar in place, but what they were willing to do was give us the consultants to come in. because so we had a project, Santa Fe Trail Project, that was partially completed in 2011. And um, so by getting the grant, they sent us help on branding. Um, we also have a landscape architect that's working with us. Uh, so we're looking at ways to improve um, our, our main drag through here because this is a little unusual. When you look at small-town uh, America like, say, uh, Chandler, Oklahoma or Bristow or Pahuska or whatever, uh, the original downtowns, they're very close right along the roadway. Well, Highway 64, as it comes through Cimarron, that was a rail bed. So there was a railroad that went up to Ute Park. Uh, the original idea was for it to go all the way over to Taos. That never happened. So we don't have the closed-in main drag. This feels like, you know, we've got a 300-foot frontage, I think, on either side. So it's not that closed-in, slow-you-down type of of, uh, uh, Main Street. So it's really been several different ideas on the program was, A, you know, how do we calm traffic, get them to slow down, because, it you know, it it looks more like a wide, let's just blow through here type of road. Um, What do we do to beautify it? And so that'll be a part of you know we have to look at what we can do hardscaping greenscaping uh, because we do have real water issues here uh, so we kind of have to be careful about what we choose for that and, you know we want it we're looking at can we put a public uh, restroom in so that gives people another reason to stop stretch their legs etc and um, we've got some other attractions that'll be opening back up our grocery store closed for a while will be reopening in the spring um, you know be freshened up so. You know, those are the kind of things that just coincidentally started coming along that weren't necessarily anything that we pushed. But obviously when they said, well, there's going to be a community group to get involved in this, we're like, ah, absolutely, jump in. Because um, I really, two of the first things we did, and part of it was wanting to mark at the end, but the other part is just wanting to be involved in the community. We were very community-oriented back in Tulsa. But when you live in a, in a metro area of a million people, your efforts are a little bit diluted. Um... But you get someplace like here, and there's far fewer layers to go through, and I think it helps inspire some other people, and certainly people have inspired us that, that live around here. But the first two things that we wanted to get involved with, we got involved with the Cimarron Civic Club, which used to be Kiwanis. Uh, but, you know, talking about the, the getting back to the rural areas, uh, they actually gave up their Kiwanis charter a few years ago. They realized they were sending more money outside the village. And, you know, here, this was starting to, to you know, I mean, we're not a, a wealthy village, so they thought, well, you know, we need money here to provide scholarships, um, you know, to, to do other projects around around the village. So, uh, you know, we got involved with that, and I got involved with the chamber, and um, it just, you know, it made really good sense business-wise, but really more than anything, just wanting to see where we fit, where can we help, what can we do um, to help brighten it up and make it a little bit better place, you know, that was... One of the things I learned a long time ago is a true measure of success is, is you know, leaving this, this world just a little bit better than it was when he found it.
0: And one of the unique things that Cimarron has, too, is this is a very historic town. As I understand it, it was it's along the Santa Fe Trail, right?
1: That is correct. Yeah, this was a waypoint along there. Um, Lucian Maxwell was really kind of the founder of the village, but there were people like Kit Carson uh, before he settled over in Taos. You know, he had a settlement down by Rayado. Uh, yeah, this, this goes back, what, 1821 or so, I think, was, was roughly when it was, was more or less founded. And uh, what is it? Uh, Cimarron means untamed, I believe in Spanish. And uh, it was a pretty rough and tumble kind of place. You know, it was known for the outlaws. Um, we've got the, the St. James Hotel here. has been here since 1876. And, uh, you know, there's ghost sightings and things like that. It's actually a very popular place as a tourist attraction uh, for people that follow the paranormal to come in. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's got one heck of a history behind it. A lot of big ranches, prominent ranch families around here. And then really our current uh, industry here, uh, the, the big employer and the big economic driver is Philmont Boy Scout Ranch, which is their, their biggest high adventure camp. I think they have three or four in, the, in, the, in scouting. But this is the one that was always the preeminent one. And the cool thing is is that the land was donated by Wade Phillips, who was a Tulsa oil ban. And uh, the joke has been, since we moved here, we're stalking his ghost because uh, we had a couple of homes in Tulsa that were four miles from Philbrook Museum of Art, which was Wade and Genevieve's uh, home in Tulsa. And then this was their summer place. And we lived four miles from it. So it's a little stalkerish, you know.
0: I love it. those aren't bad shoes to step into if you have to, right? That's true. Well, you guys made a big shift when you moved here because you were used to living in the city and all of a sudden you're living in a, a small town. It's about 800 people, right? Yeah. So exactly. what has that been like for you, and, and what do you love about
2: living here? Man, just look around. Yeah. <laughs> you guys came in at, the, at night, but, you know, it's, it's beautiful. We're at the base of the mountains. Um, you know, it is a bit of a transition coming in from the city, but it just means you have to plan better. You know the the drive whether I go to Angel Fire to the grocery store or Raton, it's beautiful either way. It takes the same amount of time, um, but you just you plan ahead. You know if you're going to go to one of the bigger places like either uh, Weblo, Pueblo or. or Santa Fe, where there's more stores that we're used to, um, you know you just start a list. Okay, I got to go to Lowe's and do this. I got to go to Natural Grocery and do that. I got to you know you just you have to plan ahead. And being in the B and B business is a little tricky when you make breakfast every morning from scratch. That's true. Yeah. Um, so planning definitely takes precedence, but it's not that difficult, and I wouldn't trade it. You know, I, we don't even have a stoplight in this town. Yeah. You left our left our house in Tulsa, and you'd have to go through six of them in a mile. You know, it's just it's so quiet. The people are wonderful. I. My soul isn't home here. I I can't find the words to quite explain how that is, but uh, yeah, this is a great place.
1: Yeah, that's, when we lived in Tulsa, we had two grocery stores that were within walking distance. We had a Lowe's that was within walking distance. We had all these conveniences and you you don't realize how much you take it for granted, Um, but you know.
2: Amazon Prime is wonderful. yes (laughs) (laughs)
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah we are, we are uh, creatures of Amazon now Yeah, mail order is a big deal to us to be able to get stuff in here but you know it's just you learn to adapt and um, that is what is so cool though about the last 20-25 years with the internet and online commerce is it allows people like us to be able to leave those conveniences to be able to take the risks and go where your heart soars And do what really speaks to you and do what's really important. You know, I I, my big thing was, and I told Aaron from the time we first met, I didn't want to be one of those people that that couldn't retire until they were 70. And then by the time you get to where you want to go, your body's worn out. You can't do it. And, um, you know, I mean, Aaron's mid 40s. I'm I'm early 50s. And to be able to move when we did. I think was pretty extraordinary and, and, I, and we're very fortunate we had portable income that we could do that. Um, so it made it a little bit less of a financial risk to take it on because, you know, a four bedroom bed and breakfast, you're not going to get wealthy on it. Um, it's pretty much going to allow you to live for free, uh, but you still have to make up for the rest of it. So, um, you know, that's what I, I, I look at so many people, though, that say, man, I wish I would have done this, wish I would have done that. But we're out here saying we're doing it and that's the cool thing about, you know, where we're sitting right now is, you know, we were just willing to to take the risk and go and, you know, found a place that really spoke to us. I
0: love it. Well, what advice would you have for someone who's thinking about doing something similar to what you did? Because it is a risk, but you're obviously talking about the amazing rewards that come with that
1: too.
2: What are you looking
1: at me for? Don't wait, because so many people wait for the right opportunity. Um, I I grew up with kind of a short-timer mentality. My dad passed when he was 41. My brother passed when he was 37 from an accident. But, you know, you just, that makes you realize it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And... You know, don't wait around because life's uncertain. You know, health things pop up or whatever or, you know, either that or you get too busy doing one thing or the other and you keep saying one day, one day, one day. But my advice is find that place that makes your spirit soar because you're going to be a lot happier and a lot healthier for doing that. Um, I remember Aaron, you know, the last six months we were in Tulsa after we'd closed on the on the B&B. Every day, she said, "Just be safe going to work and back. We're so close. We're so close, you know." And she was so happy to get me out of the stress of commuting back and forth. And um, and we found out right before we moved here, I had a little bit of a of a health problem. And uh, you know, it was, "Do you still want to move out there?" Absolutely, I wouldn't change my mind on that. And we had a little bit of recurrence of this last week. Do you want to go back to Oklahoma? No. I so said, "We're staying right here. Uh, you know, we're gonna." Maybe not work quite as hard. I need to step back a little bit So I have pushed myself pretty hard. And uh, we both have. I don't, I don't want to take all the credit on that. But, I mean, you know, we definitely, we work hard, but, I mean, a, a day that runs from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m., if you're really doing what you love, you played all day, you know? I mean, we're doing exactly what we want to do. And uh, there's a lot to be said for that. And just getting away from the stress of a big city, it's amazing how much commuting wears on people or crowded stores or
2: traffic noise yeah the first time i went back to Tulsa for being after out here a, a couple of months we stepped out of the vehicle and i was like what is that noise there's just this dull roar and it's traffic i was like man i didn't even notice that before but you don't have that out here mm-hmm. it's so quiet the stars are beautiful there's no pollution Um uh, No tornadoes either. (laughs) That's a good thing. Well, not often. At least not often. (laughs) Yeah,
1: there was one through here about, what, 23 years ago, I think.
2: Yeah, but not as often as in Oklahoma. But, no, he's right. You know, if you've got something, a friend of ours told us recently that if there's something out there, there's a dream, there's something you want, something you really, really want to do, your spirit is already there. And it's the conflict between your spirit and your body where you are, that creates the stress and the issues and the problems and all of that. So follow your spirit, figure out where it's at, because the risk is totally worth it.
1: And and quit thinking of the excuses of why you can't, um, but I'm kinda, why you can. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, that's kind of goes back to, oh, you know, when I used to race cars, you know. Um, Winners find reasons, losers find excuses. And, you know, that's the whole thing. It's just quit quit thinking of every reason why you can't do something. Figure out how you can make it happen. You know, whether it's, you know, some people that they think, oh, it's a bad idea, raid your 401k, but you know what? If your idea of retirement was moving to a rural area and doing something like we did, there's your retirement. You know, that's that's well worth doing that.
0: Yeah, I think it's great to think outside the box and not give up on those things that are burning with passion inside of you and your smiles the entire time that you have been talking tonight are just proof of why, why it's worth it to take that risk and do it because I can just tell how happy you are. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So right now you have, um, the blue dragonfly brewing co which Mm -hmm. is where we're hanging out doing this interview tonight we just happened to stop in on super bowl sunday (laughs) (laughs) you also have the blue dragonfly Inn, which is your bed and breakfast and then you have your side businesses too but uh what's next for you any more projects in the works no no (laughs) good (laughs) lord
1: no (laughs) no that was a little little awakening we had this week um i'm gonna I'm gonna step back a little bit and um, let our, um, our employees, because we have great employees here, uh, let them run the brewery and kind of, I'm gonna p- try and slip more into being just the brewer instead of general manager. Um, you know, just another one of those awakenings that maybe I'm going a little too hard. And um, then thinking about, and, and one of the good things about being where we are, we're only 550 miles from Tulsa. So, and I've, I've got, my mother's there, Aaron's parents are in Shawnee, Oklahoma. I have two daughters and a grandson, or we have two. I have two daughters and we have a grandson in Tulsa and a son-in-law, and uh, so I mean we're only eight and a half nine hours away. But I mean a week or two back, I was feeling really guilty because um, I'd gone back in early January for for our grandson's birthday. Aaron couldn't go, and uh, so I said, "We well, think maybe we can shut everything down for another week before spring break gets here, because that's like our next big tourism bash through here, and then um, this summer we're going to be overrun with film." Uh, I mean, th- this place is going to be hopping. So I'd say
2: that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> uh, no, no, not at all. It's a great thing. But
1: it's you know, we, I've been realizing it's like, well, we can't get back there for another six or eight months, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I you know really need to reexamine. You know, that the health and family has to still be the first thing, and that's part of the reason why I moved out here in the first place was lower the stress level and uh, you know try not to work so hard, get out and hike. And I think I, I lost a little bit of focus on that over the last year because I was so driven. I wanted to get this brewery going so bad, and uh, I was telling you guys earlier, you know, we got this place. We signed the lease February first of 2018. We were open August first. We had no equipment. We got started with my homebrew equipment. Uh, I mean, that's incredibly fast to put a brewery together, get through all the licensing and everything. But there again, there's a hook for for those of you listening to the podcast that you are thinking, "Why would I want to go to rural America?" Well, for one thing, villages like this. You want to start a business, they're very friendly to it, and they'll make it happen a lot quicker. If we'd tried to open this in a metro like Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, whatever, you have so many layers of bureaucracy to go through and mechanical uh, codes. and, And not that they don't have them out here, but a village like this, when somebody says, I'm willing to make the investment here, they say, what can we do to help? And I, the other thing was too is I didn't I didn't wait around to do like rural you know rural grants or USDA grants anything like that, I mean we just said you know what we're gonna we're gonna risk all the funds ourselves, because uh, we believe in this enough that we're willing to do it. And so I want to encourage anybody that's you know even on the on the, the fence about it, um, I I honestly think that you know small towns and villages are probably even a better place to risk putting in a business like this for the simple fact you're not going to be sitting around for a year and a half two years while you need to be getting cash flow flow going so we just but we are fortunate I, I realized there were a lot of very extraordinary circumstances that all came together at one time it was so meant to be just like two weeks after we signed the lease the right brewing equipment became available in Indiana used equipment from a brewery that was upgrading and you know I jumped got it and had it on its way I'm like holy cow we're really gonna have a brewery so you know it's just interesting everything just clicked it it was so meant to happen like everything it seems like this happened ever since Aaron and I met each other 10 years ago
0: that's very meant
1: to be very much
0: yeah I might not know about but that you guys might want to share about
1: and I think I already said it you know I'm such a big advocate for you know chase that dream don't be afraid to do it um, don't be afraid to move away from the conveniences of a, of a big city because the world these days is so much different. It's not so scary to do that, you know. As Aaron said, you know, we're creatures of Amazon, you know.
2: Well, on the internet. I mean, if yeah. it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be able to do half of what we do. That's
1: true. Because, yeah, our, our other business, Cimarron Cycle Works, we sell anti Carly Davidson parts globally from little Cimarron, New Mexico. There's stuff going to Australia every day, Germany, England. You name it, and we deal with vendors that are overseas, and those are, those are vendors I wouldn't have been able to find without the internet, you know? Um, and it's, it's just kind of carrying on a business that I'd started um, back in the early 2000s that was a, uh, basically just a, a kind of an income-producing hobby is what started out. I'd bought an old Harley and I was restoring it and started getting into parts, and about that time was when eBay got really, really popular. Uh, but a lot of the, the guys that were in the, the bike business back then, they were all terrestrial guys. They didn't know what the heck the Internet was. They sure as heck hadn't heard of eBay. And uh, so I had the opportunity to buy a lot of wholesale parts. Interestingly, out of this part of the country, and it's kind of started in Tulsa, and then I'd kind of ebb and flow that business over the years. And then when Erin and I got married, I thought, well, hey, here's an opportunity. You know, she can, she can pick that up while she was building her insurance practice in Tulsa. And uh, but that literally that was the business that we said okay this is all worth the risk because it would pretty much cover whatever we needed out here, and um, so that's that has continued to grow you know right here from little old Cimarron and I I think it's improved the uh, fortunes of the post office I think next to Philmont <laughs> Scout Ranch we're the biggest biggest postal customer here, and I think their allotments actually do uh, that 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 comes from how much postage is going through every year so that's given them a good lift, to say the least, but uh, yeah that's. We definitely have a lot of different responsibilities every day. And Erin's and kind of, I'm, I'm the, the idea person. She is organizational operations. She keeps it all held together and keeps my ADHD in check. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time.
0: <laughs> well, and one thing we haven't talked a lot about in detail is your insurance business. So I want to hear about that too, Erin.
2: Oh, well, yeah insurance there's a fascinating subject (laughs) (laughs) well you know like a lot of other professions the internet has made a world of difference and there's there's some old school people out there still like to come into the office and talk to the agents you know face to face but there's a lot that it that's not that important to them and uh, it's time saved if they don't have to work around your hours Uh, my home agency is in norman oklahoma and um You know, I worked in that office for a few years and then we got together and I moved to Tulsa and kind of worked remotely from there and then we moved out here and my uh, agency partner's like, yeah, go for it, take it with you. So I got all my licensing here in New Mexico. It's a little bit different here. Um, You know, you got, you know, family that, family is extremely important in this culture. And uh, I totally get that, and I'm not going to stand in the way of that. But, you know, so-and-so's cousin, well, they're an insurance agent. We've got all our stuff with them. Yeah, that's cool. I get that. But uh, there's always room for, you know, new people coming in. And uh, I haven't really had much time to work on it lately, but that's okay. (laughs) I can't imagine why. (laughs) I can't either. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it all comes in time. Every time I stop and think about it and go, you know, I wonder if I need to do something. I need to get this business going. I need to get some more income on that aspect of things. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody calls me, hey, I need this. Hey, I need that. So, okay, cool. We can do it. I love and it. And I do, I do business both in Oklahoma and in New Mexico.
0: Perfect. Yeah. The power of the Internet. Seriously. Right. I mean, it yeah. really does make a difference. Well, how do we follow along with everything you guys have going on and all of your businesses?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, you can follow us on www.bluedragonflyin.com and www.bluedragonflybrewing.com. Now, Blue Dragonfly Brewing is B-L-U, Dragonfly. So with the cute little German umlaut on it, only that's not in the URL. Of course, you can follow us on Facebook with those. Uh, Cimarron Cycle Works has its own uh, web page and we do have people that order from that around the, the world but uh, eBay is actually kind of that's about 90 and 98 percent of our sales channels on that uh, but yeah uh, definitely Facebook pages we usually keep those pretty well updated as we can we try to
0: great and how about the insurance how do they contact
2: you if they want insurance um yeah, I've got a Facebook page too. Okay. And uh Multi State Insurance. That's what it's under. Okay. Yeah. But if you look up my name, you'll find the, the page associated with me. So perfect. Well yeah. we'll be sure to link to all of that in the yeah. show notes too, so
1: everybody yep.
0: can have easy access to that but.
1: And then people if they want to come out and book and stay at Blue Dragonfly Inn and enjoy our pool and our nice views of the mountains from there and our peace and quiet and just unplug for a few days.
2: An amazing breakfast.
1: An amazing breakfast. <laughs> Cannot forget that. That's the whole reason to stay there. Uh, they can find us on Airbnb, uh, also through Expedia and a lot of other travel sites, or they can just call us at 575-425-0005.
0: Perfect. And I'm sure you guys are more than willing to help them find things to do in the area and make it
2: a great stay for them. So. There's a book in every room that describes all of the attractions, restaurants, all kinds of stuff. Yeah,
1: Perfect. We've, we've got some of the best underutilized wilderness out here. There's an area uh that's literally starts about a mile or two north of where we're sitting right now called the Valle Vidal, the Valley of Life. And um it's I think altogether the at least when if you're driving from one end to the other it starts here in Cimarron and ends up um up near uh Costilla, New Mexico. Uh it's about a seventy mile drive and it is rolling hills. You drive through part of Ted Turner's ranch for Mayhoe Park Ranch. We like to joke that Ted Turner's our next door neighbor. Um, but you know, we have these, these uh, very underutilized areas that I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of saying, I want everybody to know about it. And at the same time, I don't want anybody to know about it because you don't want it to get all drecked up like a lot of areas in Colorado have over the years. The Front Range has grown. Um, you know, we had a friend out, big time outdoor guy, grew up in Denver. He came out to see us the first summer we were here, and Bob said, you know, he said, I think of the places I used to go hike and go climb when I was a a teenager in Denver. He said, I go there now. They're overrun. Uh, They're trash. There's, you know, there's vandalism or whatever. And he said, you guys, I hope you appreciate what a gem this is to have something like this. And, um... So, and, and actually one thing we thought about, uh, if, if, I can go on just a little bit, absolutely. Uh, we were trying to think, you know, what else can we do to help improve tourism here? Because we had a lot of people that kind of think of this being a three month village because Philmont scout ranch by and large that really did. I mean, that's the big tourism attraction. You get 25,000 scouts through here summer. You probably get another 5,000 or so people coming through every year for different training programs and stuff that Philmont does for scout training. And, um, we so said, what can we do? And we'd kind of thought about it even before we got here. What, couldn't we do a bike event or something like that? His, um, I'm a veteran of the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race. I did it twice. And I saw what that had done for Leadville, and a, a really wily old miner named Ken Clover started this series back in 1983. Climax Mine had closed up there. Uh, I think Leadville's unemployment, I don't remember now if it was 25% or 50%, but it was ridiculous. And Ken said, what can we do to build the fortunes in this town? What can we do to get people here in the summertime? And so they started out with this 100-mile foot race out and back uh, at over 10,000 feet, which was just insane. And then in 94, they started a mountain bike race. And um, I had the opportunity to get in through the lottery in 2011. Aaron and I, we went and did that. We went back in 2013 again. But what we were impressed with was how much it's changed the fortunes of Leadville people that that got into the race series they have now done it like you know 20 times or whatever they built second homes out there because say fell in love with the area um their main drag through there is gentrified really nice in 2009 or 2008 lifetime fitness out of minneapolis bought the race series so they brought with it a lot more marketing and things like that and qualifying races they did around the country but the long and short of it is we just saw what it had done to improve leadville even in the time since we started going in 2011 how much had it even changed up to a year or so back? And we thought, you know, why can't why can't Cimarron do something like that? And uh, so we started the Cimarron Challenge last summer. It came very close to not happening because uh, we did that 25 days after we opened the brewery, and we were still wow. still trying to figure <laughs> out what we're doing here, because uh, you know neither one of us had ever run a restaurant or a brewery for that matter, and. Uh, so it was pretty ambitious i mean we were very close to pulling the plug and i I told aaron i said you know what though if we do it they won't give us a chance to do this ever again and um so we got it going we had 31 riders show up which seemed a little humbling at first but when we realized the dirty kansas 200 which is in emporia kansas started 10 years ago with 34 riders and i think they have about 3,000 riders a year now lifetime fitness just bought that race this year and uh so it's really cool because that's been a great tourism deal for Emporia, uh, Stillwater, uh, Oklahoma has Land Run 100. Bobby and Crystal Wendell started that, I think, with 70 or 80 riders, and now they have to cap the event. You know, it's a lottery system they have to get in. So I think we're headed in that direction um, because of how remote some of the areas it goes. This is for gravel bikes or mountain bikes, either or. Uh, but you know, gravel, gravel bike racing has become really big in the last 10 years. And the Vive Vidal, we thought, man, this is perfect. We thought, how do we get them back in because it'd have to be an out and back because we have private property out there? Philmont Scout Ranch stepped up, said, you can come across our property. That was huge. Philmont, if it wasn't for them, the race couldn't have happened because they did all our on-field on support. Um, they had a bad summer last year, so we had a huge forest fire here, 30,000 acres. Philmont lost their entire summer. We had no scouts here. So they were still doing some training programs and such. So... That actually, a lot of people said, you guys doing this event here and Philmont doing it, it gives us optimism that we're not dead. And, you know, it was great because we brought in people and they all loved it. They thought it was great. There were some parts of the, the course that were a little sketchy. But we warned them at the writers' meeting that, that morning. We said, this is this is the Cimarron Challenge, not the Cimarron Easy. And uh, <laughs> even though we had some people that were kind of swearing at us a little bit when they came back in, within a couple of days, they are saying on the Facebook page, man, don't change a thing. I'm coming back next year. I'm bringing my buddies. So um, this is an event that's gonna continue to grow. And that was one that that Aaron and I and a a third person, Jake Cook, uh, we started a nonprofit. We take nothing from it, no administrative fees. The whole idea is to benefit the scholarship fund of the Cimarron Civic Club, to fund beautification projects, hopefully fund part of the, the Frontier Cities project if that's needed because the state won't actually fund, as I said earlier, the brick and mortar. Uh, but, and, and even if it comes down to, uh, you know, private fund for, say, individuals who can't afford to spruce up their property or whatever. So we're looking for ways, you know, how could we turn tourism into a way to really improve the overall look, which, of course, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in itself because it keeps looking nicer and nicer. People say, this is a great little place. So, you know, it was just one of those off-the-wall ideas by following a great example from a really, really neat cat. Up in leadville colorado that you know i said this is this is what kind of i think the direction we need to go with this and uh i don't know what else can you add about the cimarron challenge
2: i think you've pretty much covered it (laughs) and now now we've got our baseline so we know what to do this year
0: yeah (laughs) no that's so cool i love everything about that and what are the dates this year
1: august 24th
0: Okay, Yeah. perfect. So mark your
2: calendars. Yep. And We've
1: got a 78-mile route is long route. We've got a shorter route that's 65 miles. Basically what that does is that cuts out about a 1,500-foot climb that goes up to 9,600 feet. So um, it's a, you know, I, I really admire people that come from the flatland and come do that because it's really hard to train if you're not at altitude so that means getting out on hot roads during the summer but it's a nice respite for the riders because they'll come out here say if it's in the 90s or hundreds and humid in texas oklahoma kansas they'll come out here high of eighty degrees humidity of twenty percent much more comfortable environment just a little less oxygen
0: Well, you guys, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I love what you're doing. Love the ways that you are giving back to this town. And um, I can't wait to come back and spend more time here because I love love everything that I've seen here. It's been just a fun stop on our trip. So thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for stopping in. We're really glad our paths crossed.
0: Well, Colin and Erin are a great example of what it looks like to really seize the opportunities their small town has to offer. And I love that they established a nonprofit and scholarship program as a way to give back. If you're someone like Colin and Erin with dreams for your small business and are ready to put those dreams into action, join us for the Rural Revival Mastermind in Pahuska, Oklahoma on May 12th through 15th, 2019. We're bringing together a community of rural entrepreneurs ready to drive big results and impact in their business and lives. You can find all the details at ruralrevival.co slash mastermind. Well, thanks again to Colin and Erin for being on the podcast. And thanks to you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Have a great day, everybody.